it exudes from me to you the gratitude that you spend time uh, having a deeper conversation with different folks so others can hear that their experiences, you know, are similar but different. Rob Dubay started his first business in high school selling blow pops out of his locker. For the last 30 years, he served as CEO and co-founder of Image One, ranked as one of the top 25 small businesses in America and on the 2017 list of Forbes Small Giants. Rob has guided the company with a focus on their purpose to deliver genuine care that consistently drives extraordinary energy, actions, and experiences to everyone, every day, every time. Rob, it is great to have you on today. Brett, thank you so much. I just want to say how grateful I am to you for inviting me. So humbling to be here with you. And uh, I think we're going to have a fun conversation together. Yeah, me too. I enjoyed getting to know you and learning, uh, you know, kind of all the, the various things that you're up to. And I, I know our mutual friend Gino said, uh, you, you two have to know each other. So it's, it's really nice to know you now and, and Likewise. To, um, kind of see the, the overlap and, and how we think and what we're up to. And um, I'm, I'm excited to dive into that deeper with you. So um, let's do that. Let's start at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about kind of your early childhood, your family dynamic, kind of mm-hmm. where you're from and what that was like. Sure. Absolutely. So I uh, grew up in the Detroit area. When I was around eight years old, my parents got divorced. That was uh, kind of a new thing, a new phenomenon back then, uh, not as common as it is these days. And so, you know, my parents uh, were really just trying to navigate, you know, what that meant. And, you know, the the idea of how you handle uh, the kids in, in, a, in a divorce back then, just, you know, that kind of information wasn't as, as out there. And so I think they, I know they struggled with that. Um, I lived with my mom and she was, uh, you know, very protective and I, it was maybe holding on a little too tight for me. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, so as a consequence, um, between the ages of eight and 14, you know, I just felt really held down in in my life and, and kind of became, um, kind of more to myself a lot. You know, I would go in my room and just kind of be there by myself. I didn't, you know, really wasn't around the my mom and, and my sister at the time and, and later my stepfather, um, yeah. who my mom. You know, I just want to hop in there for a second. You know, I think it's it's interesting you say that, you know, my parents were divorced when I was 10, which was in 1985. And I do remember also feeling like at that time, it really wasn't as common as it is today. And therefore, there was just so many unknowns about it and and so many kind of, you know, things that kind of felt like uh, maybe you were, you know, uh, there was a stigma or there was something kind of attached to it as being wrong or bad, a very different kind of dynamic as it is than it is today. I mean, in my case, it turns out to be a great thing and my mom handled it incredibly, but, you know, it was, uh, it was very noticeable that it was it was you know kind of a, a thing, and and I'm just curious like you know when you you say that now and look back in hindsight like what was it like 
for you to have that experience and, and how noticeable of a thing was it? I think it was just confusing. I felt love for my both my parents, um, but it just something didn't feel right. Um, all my friends' parents were married, so it, mm-hmm. it was just it was just confusing more than anything. So that that's the first thing that comes to my mind. I, I felt a lot of confusion, and I remember really being anxious to want to go out on my own mm-hmm. and just being ready to start my own life. So, and I, I look back on that, and I think I just wanted to have some control. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I think bouncing between my mom and my dad, you know, my dad on the weekends and, you know, we would, it was always a blast, you know, we'd always do something fun, go to the game mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever activity we were up to. And then back to the house where my mom was a little bit more tight gripped on things. Mm-hmm. So it was a confusing time. I will say in retrospect, I'm very grateful for the time after, after I've had lots of many years of investigation and, and reflection on it. it certainly has helped me, I think, in, in my adult life, but it, it yeah. took a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we can talk about that, but uh, I'm curious, you know, you're in this time then where you're in these kind of almost two worlds I'm, I'm kind of imagining where, you know, you've got this super controlled environment and you're going really kind of internal and, and, and maybe, you know, spending a lot of time, you know, by yourself alone. And then you go out with your dad and it's like, you know, good time, a lot of fun. Um, you know, w- when you're alone and you're starting to kind of like think about, you know, how you want to create your own life or, you know, kind of experience some freedom. What are you doing? Like what, what, what kind of starts to emerge for you in that alone time? When I was really young, it was sports. Mm -hmm. So I played baseball and tennis and, you know, at our house, we had a big brick wall and I'd be out there for hours playing in the world series or, you know, the finals of the Wimbledon or something. And I would do this for hours and my imagination was so vivid. It felt so real what I was doing. So I think that was my, you know, that was where my mind was at to escape and what, what better things could be in the future. When I was um, around about 14, I had asked my father if I could move in with him, and and uh, that I ended up doing that. And that ended up being kind of a really impactful thing for my mother. She was very upset about it, and um, and then for me, it was like total freedom. My dad was just like extremely trusting, and quite frankly, too much so. You know, so I took full advantage of that. He he was uh, he was running a sales team for an insurance company. He traveled all the time, and so I had the run of the place. I was on my own, and so you know, I was. Uh, people were over all the time. My house was the party house, and so you know, I went from one extreme to the other for like all through high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, that makes sense too, <laughs> and Doesn't you know, it? <laughs> I, I, yeah, it does, and I get it. I mean, you know, that's it's often kind of sometimes the stereotypical roles of of men and women and um, mothers and fathers, and that's not you know unilaterally true, but it, it, it was true for you, and you know, I, I kind of can see how that can be true. I mean, even in my own household um, where my wife is um, a little bit more on top of the kids' schoolwork and, you know, their, their, um, you know, just kind of behavior. And, and I'm, you know, a little bit more relaxed about that kind of stuff. And, you know, we, we, 
balance each other out very well. Thank God for her. I'd, I'd probably, you know, be in big trouble if, you know, it was just being done my way. But, you know, in your case where there's a divorce and your, you know, father is at home and you're now kind of out there, you know, taking the full advantage of it. What, well, what, what happens there? Tell me about that. I mean, is, is it just good high school fun? Um, is it end up kind of getting into danger, a little bit of both? You know, uh, like, you know, when we talk about like maybe too much, um, well, really, was it now that you think about it or, or not really? Well, I have two kids that are older now. I would have been concerned with some of the things, but we weren't, you know, uh, as far as partaking in things like alcohol and marijuana, you know, pot, that was common. Uh, Beyond that, it wasn't. But drinking and driving was very common. You know, going too far with those substances was very common, um, like to the point of, you know, just like out of it. And so, you know, if I had seen my kids doing that, not to say that they did or they didn't, I, you know, but if I saw them do it, uh, I would have been definitely concerned as a parent. And so, yeah, I think it, I think it wasn't on the far, far extreme, but you know, there, there was some there, uh, that, that I felt maybe was a bit dangerous. Yeah. You know, I think when I think back on that time in my life, definitely, you know, a bit dangerous as well. And, and there's kind of this maybe desire to kind of look at it as, as just, you know, good fun, you know, as, as a teenager trying to, you know, navigate life. Uh, right. And yet, uh, it's dangerous. It really is. You know, there is a line there and thank God, uh, the kids today don't drink and drive. I think that's the the biggest danger that um, not has been entirely eliminated, but boy, I, I think it's a different world from that perspective, for sure. And yes. you know, when I think back on that time, I really feel like the grace of God. You know, and I never thought that before, but you know, I, I think you know, boy, I am just so blessed to have moved through that and be here today to talk about it. So true. It's so true. And, you know, just to build on that, another thing that we started doing for kicks is we would steal stuff and we would go to, you know, the department stores and, and we, you know, I was in a group, we, we had a good life. Like we didn't need to steal anything. We had everything we needed and then some, but for some reason we thought it was a big thrill to go to the department store and steal stuff. And same thing to what you're saying. I can't believe we never got caught and we should have, you know, it would have been a great lesson for us. But yeah, somehow through all these things that we were doing that I think kind of maybe go, go over the line and there's a lot of acting out there and, you know, whatever psychologically is going on um, that, that someone wasn't harmed or anything of that nature. One thing that, that on the positive side of things, you know, one thing that I, I learned as upon reflection was I had two really close friends. And while we were all in this together, um, they had really solid foundations of family life, or at least it seemed to me they did. And, and now that I know them and I know their parents to this day, they are very solid. And so I got to see what a, you know, a functioning family looked like. And, um, and I spent a lot of time with their families, two of my really closest friends. And, 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 you know, I think I leaned on that, you know, as I got into becoming an adult and having a family of my own, I, I could kind of, you know, think back to 
what it could look like versus what it was like for me. Mm-hmm. One of those friends, uh, my current business partner, his name is Joel Perlman. He and I started selling uh, blow pop light pops in high school out of our locker. And, um, you know, that was a great thing for us. You know, it was an outlet that we were very passionate and excited about. At the time, being an entrepreneur, doing things like that, you know, a lot of people thought it was, you know, kind of like very risky, you know, to ever think of a career like that. But we kept doing things like that in high school and in college. And uh, we ended up starting our business after college together. And we still run it today. This is our 30th year, actually. So that was a positive that came out of that. Yeah, yeah, very much so. (laughs) And and I actually want to talk about that because I think it's important. um, But I want to just kind of finish up the conversation from the kind of, you know, party times, you know, this this idea of acting out. You know, I kind of feel like, there's a tendency to really judge kids at that time who are a little wilder. And really what it is, is some kind of need to fill from some kind of incomplete part or some kind of, a, um, you know, maybe a trauma depending on, you know, the scale of it. You know, having your parents separated and living in the two different environments, you take that on as a kid, whatever was happening before that while they were married, right? Some of this is so unconsciously embodied and it's nobody's fault, really, right? Like in my case, you know, everybody's doing the best they can, you know, nobody's trying to have anybody. Uh, incomplete. You know, that's not the goal here. I don't think that's really the goal for almost anyone, really. Right. But but things happen. And then, you know, the experience of that gets embodied. And there is this kind of, you know, unconscious acting out that happens. Right. And and you know, I think we need to be a little bit more sensitive to making sure that that doesn't label people as fuck-ups or bad or wrong or, you know, something else, right? It can go that way, but to place that on them early. And I just was curious, you know, kind of how much of that maybe was there for you? Yeah, the part about uh, being labeled? Yeah, being labeled or if you felt like maybe there was something kind of attached to the acting out part. Mm. Well, you know, as far as my ability to keep whatever was going on under the radar screen. I was good at that somehow. You know, I I was like kept to myself at school. I was always on time. I did what I needed to do to get a halfway decent grade. My parents never seemed to be on to any of the stuff that I was up to. And so I never got a lot of, you know, like, um, uh, you know, negative feedback. I always Mm -hmm. actually got a lot of positive feedback. Um, mm-hmm. about about the way I was going about my life. There was this thing behind the scenes that they didn't really know or just maybe turned a blind eye to, uh, which I wonder about that oftentimes, um, mm-hmm. that maybe they did know some things, or especially my dad when I was in high school, maybe he kind of knew what like, there were some things or some signs, but he didn't like act on them or, or mm-hmm. pursue them further. You know, when I think about a lesson that's been a great learning for me that I still work with and on to this day is uh, my parents just being humans. 
and not this idealized thing of what a mom should be or what a dad should be. They're just people. And, right. you know, I learned a lot about their backgrounds and, you know, uh, things that happened to them that when, when you go back in time, affect how they became parents and how they parented or how they coped and um, different life circumstances that, of course, lead into your children yeah. and, uh, and, and, and how they are managing situations, for lack of a better way of saying it, when there is something major going on, like a divorce, where you just don't you know, know how to help the kids. You're so focused on yourself and just trying to get by each day on your own. Yeah. Um, and so you're coping in different ways and it's affecting the kids. Yeah. Um, so uh, that, that's been a great awakening for me. And also, you know, me as a parent, wanting my kids to understand I'm just a person. <laughs> like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing as a parent. Yeah. So I'm a first time parent, you know, granted yeah. my kids are older now and I'll always be their parent, but I'm not always going to be that good at it. You know, I'm just yeah. doing the best I can do. Yeah, it, it, that's really great. I love that. I think it's a great message for parents and kids, really. You know, it's amazing as you become a parent and an adult, how much you appreciate your own parents <laughs> and that's kind true. of everything that they have put into it and, you know, the the stuff that they navigated however they did, you right. know. I certainly know, you know, from my standpoint, I think about, you know, my parents, my stepfather, you know, when I see friends of mine take on kids, you know, that aren't um, theirs, you know, and, and really take them on fully, you know, I mean, right. you see, you see stuff you didn't really necessarily understand when you're a kid. And hopefully that makes you a better parent. And I, I'm like you, I remember our pediatrician, uh, when when our first was born, he joked as we were leaving the hospital. Uh, I uh, he said I stamped the instructions on his back. Good luck, and you know I just you know the, the whole idea of like I've never done this before. You know? Yeah, yeah. I just you know like each stage is like I've never done this before. Yes, you know? yeah. Yes. You get to do it once. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, on on that note, uh, somewhere along the lines I'd learned, and and it wasn't early enough, but it it was after my son um, uh, was kind of through an early stage of his life and our daughter was being, uh, was very young. and, And someone shared with me just to always remember that they're their own people. They're not you. They'll never be you. They might have some of your you know, some of your traits or things of that nature, but they are their own unique being. And don't try to construct them into you or the version of what you think they should be. Let them flourish. And I thought, oh, I love that advice. Thank goodness I had that for my daughter. I wish I had it a little bit earlier for my son, but it did give me the opportunity to shift um, you know, because I was very focused on things like mistakes I had made. And I don't want him or her to make that mistake or a, a way they should go in life. This is the right way to do it. Who am I to say who's the right way to do anything? You know, right. they really have to find their way. And I'm just here to, you know, help guide to the best of my ability and listen deeply to what's happening with them in their lives and try to do my best to, to open up the lanes for them to explore what makes most sense for them. Yeah, I think that's really, really great 
advice and um, something that I've been learning over time too, like you, you know, you wish you could start there, but you know, sometimes you have to learn <laughs> these things as you go. And I, I think, I don't think it's ever too late. And maybe, you know, your kids seeing you change is maybe more important back to your point of like, well, you're just a human being. Right. But I, I love the idea because what I've learned is I actually now know that although I have some experience and I know a few things, I might not really know what's actually best for these kids, right? Because <laughs> the world's changed so much. You know, this idea, and I want to go back to you being an entrepreneur in high school, that wasn't something that was celebrated. Um, an entrepreneur in college wasn't something that was celebrated. The idea of being an entrepreneur at all wasn't something that was really celebrated until recent years. And so when you think about like, well, what else is it that's emerging? I mean, if you look at the gaming culture or the YouTube culture, right? Like those would be things in the past that at least in my generation, parents would say, they're vidiots, get off the video games. All they do is stare at the screen. These people staring at the screen are today's big success stories, right? right? So what do we know? We don't even know, (laughs) you know? (laughs) <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, I think I feel like, uh, and this has just been my experience and what I've tried to incorporate is a good solid set of values that we can I all kind of, but you know, that's nothing new. I mean, you know, uh, that's generations of generations had have done that and for within their families. So you hope that you can, you can kind of create that foundation and then let the, hopefully the kids can just build off of it and find their space. And you're right with new things, you know, their, their beliefs and their views are just completely different than what I'm accustomed to. And I got to get out of the way when it comes to that. Yeah. Well, and I think you're right about the values piece. I do think that is still something that doesn't change or shouldn't change that, you know, we really maybe need to elevate more than ever, you know, what it means to be kind and caring and thoughtful and selfless and a whole bunch of other things. Um, But let's talk about you as a high school entrepreneur. You know, you're, you're a bit trailblazing. You're selling blow pops um, and and turning this into a business, and uh, you know, as you said, you you do it with your friend who ends up being your business partner for life. And and there's no question, there's some important things that are happening along the way that that leads to where you are today. Tell me a little bit about kind of that initial spark. You know, what what leads you to decide that you want to make money or be in business or do this at all? I feel that there was a sense of freedom that came along with that. Like I wasn't employed by anybody. I got to make the rules. I got to pick what I wanted to do and when I did it. And that's all on reflection, by the way. I I think at the time, I didn't realize that those were the boxes I was checking, but that was the feeling that I was getting. And, and so I can't even remember, quite frankly, how it became Blow Pops. I do remember the circumstances which Joel's uncle owned a drugstore and somehow the two of us had realized that this candy wasn't in the school store, these Blow Pops, and we loved them. And so he was willing to sell us these boxes of Blow Pops for a nickel each. We sell them for a quarter. And we'd have all these kids coming to us in our uh, lunch period. And we would 
have a bag full of quarters, a Ziploc baggie full of quarters by the end. And I loved that feeling that I just provided somebody happiness. You know, they walked away with something and they were so happy. And I had profits in this baggie and we'd keep it in our pockets. We wouldn't even, you know, we were worried to get stolen out of the locker. I loved all that feeling, you know, that feeling of freedom, that feeling that I had some money that I could do what I felt was best with it. And, uh, and I think that was kind of the beginning spark of what led to, you know, some other, all little things along the way, but nonetheless, we were always trying something different and trying to figure out a way that we could make a buck on our own and have some fun doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of thinking back to what you said about the experience you had with your mother and the controlling and the kind of desire for freedom. And this is kind of the reason I, Um, love hearing these stories and kind of the point of the podcast is that, you know, and my belief system is that all of these events in our lives are having, are are happening for our benefit and that they can teach us and we can learn and we can use them to serve us. And, you know, it seems to me like, you know, maybe the experience you had, you know, up to 14 years old, where you had this strong desire to have freedom leads you to create this business where you can have that freedom that you're desiring. And if it weren't for the first, maybe the second doesn't happen. And therefore, you know, and I know this is the hindsight thinking, like there comes the gratitude, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. For these life life experiences. You know, I, I, I wish for those that have the challenges and I don't have the answer to it because it took me so long to really recognize that. And so there were so many years of angst uh, and, and pain and anger, uh, years and years of it in my adult life until one day I realized, or I should say one day I started to realize and it started to sink in that those life experiences were so beautiful for me because they really charted the course for where I'm at at this moment. And that includes, you know, um, my business, that includes my marriage, my ki- everything that I'm so grateful for. And it all had to do with those experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also, I've learned kind of through parts work and internal family systems that it's not uncommon to have this kind of successful part emerge to kind of overcompensate for the part that, you know, maybe has some trauma or had Mm -hmm. this kind of, you know, control feeling or alone feeling or whatever it was. And, and what's wonderful is to be able to kind of see all the parts and be conscious to them so that you're not creating from this place of trying to compensate, but truly letting it be of service and really, you know, be able to let that come out authentically is, mm-hmm. is critical. And it sounds like you've kind of really looked at all of that and, and yeah, you know, we would like for that to happen sooner <laughs> and maybe, you know, by having these conversations, it helps others get there faster. That's kind yeah. of my hope yes. that, you know, there's something that 
like, I don't know what it was for you that got you to start that realization, but, you know, maybe talking about this, bringing this out and making it something that's more normalized will help other people move through that. But it it does kind of seem to happen at its own time. Um, I don't know for you kind of how that realization started to to emerge. It, it was, it's been a journey and it continues on. I mean, you know, for me, a couple things, and, and if I'm going off on a path, you don't want me to just oh, no, go know. for it. Yeah. You're but good. first I was dating my wife in college or my now wife in college. And we met, excuse me, we were dating in college. My, my wife and I ended up getting married very early, right out of college. And after I graduated, I went on a trip with a friend of mine and this trip which was three weeks, was going to be my decision as to whether or not I was going to ask my then girlfriend to marry me. Because if I, I said to him, if I get through this trip and I'm faithful and we don't diverge, I'm going to do this. And if I do this, I'm not getting divorced. It's not happening. I'm not going through what I went through with my parents. And so that's how it played out. So I got married pretty young. I'll, you know, in today's sort of environment, I was married at 22. So, and, and from that point on, I was very focused on it. So a few years in, we had our first uh, child, our son, and then we stopped having sex. And I didn't know what was going on. And, and I was very confused. And my wife didn't really think much of it. it wasn't as confusing to her as it was to me and i asked joel my business partner my best friend here's what's happening do you have any thoughts and he said you know have you gone to therapy have you thought about that and i i thought therapy like you got to be completely screwed up to go to therapy and he was like no lots of people go to therapy and and so i i ended up finding somebody and, and going and and that was the beginning of the journey actually where I started to learn a lot more than what I thought I was going for, which was to try to understand what was going on with Emily and I. And, you know, that took a few years to kind of work itself out. And um, and that was a great journey for us. It, it helped us become stronger together. But then I continued on and really started to deconstruct what all had happened as I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I want to add to this that what I learned in my journey with therapy was a lot of the cause and effect that had gone on. But actually, what I started to notice uh, many years into it, easily 10, was that my anger was not going away. In other words, I understood what was happening, but it didn't seem to be making me feel better. I just understood it better. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that part I got, but I was still angry. I was still, actually, I was more angry, quite frankly, at my parents than ever. And and that started me on a new journey because I realized, although I understand how these things are kind of connecting, it's, it's actually creating something um, more angst for me. And I started to investigate some different things. And one of those things was meditation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then I started a practice of meditation and that helped me um, uh, really let go. Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting. I want to talk about meditation. I want to make sure we go back and talk a little bit about kind of the early years of your marriage. Hey, you know, I, I think it's fascinating to me how all of the kind of various 
modalities and and places to turn for support really do kind of help each other to support you. In other words, you have, first of all, you have this lifelong friend, which the, you know, the importance of friendship yeah. and somebody that you can really just be totally straight with and transparent and, and ask for help. Right? right. Boy. I mean, you know, that I think is just so powerful by itself. Mm-hmm. Then there's therapy, right? And you yep. and you talk about kind of going through therapy and getting different things at different times, right? And, and how that can build. You can you can get it, but still have the anger, you know. Yeah, and right. then comes in the meditation piece, um, which we can talk about. But but I do want to just kind of um, make sure we talk about this point of being young and married. Yep. You know, it's kind of like I was saying before with, you know, I've never done this before with my kids. Well, I had never been married before. I'm like you, I got married at, at 24. Um, soon after college, I, I married um, my girlfriend from college. And um, we started having kids soon after. And, you know, it, just the whole thing is so new. That, you know, there's, it's, you know, I remember, you know, my wife, had been used to being a teacher and working and getting so much gratification and satisfaction out of that. And, you know, just the not sleeping and the, you know, wanting to do a good job and and be good parents and be a good spouse and, you know, build your business, whatever you're doing. I mean, it can be a really, really hard time where I still don't know how much that's really acknowledged. You know, it's kind of like, isn't it great? You're married and have kids, you're honeymooners, you're whatever. And it is, it is, and it's hard. Mm-hmm. So true. It's so true. And I think one of the things, actually, I'm going to um, uh, share a little story about our mutual friend, Gina Wickman. Um, and it, I think what is more uh, out there nowadays than back when maybe you or I were first getting married is this idea of being on the same page and that, you know, there's a lot of aspects of uh, going on in our life and with our life partners, you know, we, we need to communicate regularly about what our vision is together and what are the issues that we're dealing with together and bringing them to the forefront on a regular basis. In other words, you got to kind of work at it. (laughs) And that's not easy, you know, because when I got married, my thought was, you know, it can be all, you know, what you see in the movies or something. It's a big love story. Um, But there's a lot of work that goes into it. And fortunately, because of what I had witnessed with my parents, I knew that the work didn't go into it. So I knew subconsciously there was something that needed to be done. I just wasn't conscious about what that was. Along the way, when I met Gino, he introduced us to this idea of having a same page meeting. Now he introduced that idea to Joel and myself because we're business partners. But Joel and I looked at each other and said, after we did it some number of times and we said, you know, this would be really helpful for our spouses. We should do this with them because we're talking about budgets, you know, we're talking about uh, uh, money, tri- you know, uh, you know you, you've got your schedules, you're trying to coordinate, all the things that life encompass. And spending an hour and a half or so a week just to sit down and be focused on that became a super valuable thing for my wife and I. Mm-hmm. 
You know, it just being on the same page regularly took a lot of the wondering out of things. And, um, and we kept that going for quite some time and we still interjected. I mean, our lives are a little less complicated than when our kids were younger. Um, but we still bring that back into the mix when it feels right. But as early, when you're married early on, I felt like that could be such a great, that would have been a great tool for us right out of the gates. Yeah, I think there's like a a way to frame this idea of working. You know, it often kind of gets framed in a very negative light that that you know you shouldn't right. have to work on love and you know and and yes. I hear people talk about that. Even you know experts say that you know marriages shouldn't be work. Um, I heard Joe Dispenza say it recently, and he had an explanation for for why you know he said that, which made a little sense, but. You know, I think what it is really is is things that can be hard for people depending on your background, like like talking, right? Like sharing yes. what you are feeling, what um, you need, what your wants are, where you're not on the same page. I mean, right. that can really feel like work to people and having the tools. I mean, it is from a business standpoint why I love EOS is having the tools whether that be therapy or other kinds of miscellaneous practices, you know, a a date night or a time to connect or whatever it is that you prioritize, you know, certainly we've learned a lot through therapy and how to communicate. It's an ongoing process. I'm (laughs) constantly learning, but, you know, I think it's, it's, it's part of this, you know, reframing we need to do about what it means to um, be in, in partnership with somebody. Yeah, yeah, you're so right about that. And and I like your point about calling it work because maybe that isn't the best word for it. You know, it really just is insurance. I think communication is is what, you know, the word that kind of, when you said that, kind of resonates more with me. It's making sure that you're never assuming anything. And And the more you're communicating, and quite frankly, the more deep you can get with what words mean and what sort of emotions they evoke. Like when you say that to me, it actually makes me feel like this. And when I say it, I'm thinking, oh, that's a harmless word. But it triggers something. And, and like just those little things with your with your spouse or your partner, whoever it is, I mean, you know, maybe your life partner or whatever, you know, those little things can make a huge difference. And, and that's why it's important to just like get together and, you know, maybe consider that, you know, I invite people to consider like getting together and just talking out some things. And you can structure it. A lot of people don't like structure, you know, they don't want to go through that. But sometimes the structure of a conversation could be helpful, you know. Um, what are our issues that we're dealing with? What are some things that are uh, bothering us? What are we grateful for? Um, and really, you know, reflecting on that. And let's talk money. I mean, you know, money gets in the way of a lot of relationships. People are oftentimes not on the same page with that. And that's a really important discussion for some uh, couples. And so, um, and then if you have kids, wow, I mean, gosh, they're so busy these days and there's a lot of pressure on them. And so you're just downloading about each one of them and kind of where your head is at where and where your partner's head is at and, and just how can you show up and be the best person that you can be for the kids? Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me, you know, you, you talked about meditation 
And, uh, and I'd love to know a little bit more about kind of how that has really played a role in all of that as a, as a husband, as a parent, you're in a business with your partner for over 30 years. You know, clearly there's a lot of deep breaths and grounding <laughs> and mindfulness and, you know, everything else that, you know, that comes from meditation. So talk to me a little bit about kind of your practice and the role that it's played in your life. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll start with the role because, you know, there's this, Victor Frankl says there's this moment between stimulus and response. And in that moment is where you get to make this choice. And that's where, that's something that I think about most often because, you know, it's our triggers and it's our, this response that we just, we don't pause. And it's like when you practice meditation or mindfulness, um, you, you, you learn that that millisecond that you have to respond. And most of the time it's, you know, you just respond, you don't think about it, but that just little, little tiny pause can really make a huge difference, not only in the person that you're communicating with, um, but for yourself. And just for the record, sometimes you're not communicating with anybody. You're actually communi- You're actually in your own head and there's that moment between stimulus and response and how you take it on. And so that's been really useful for me because of those life experiences that I, we talked about earlier and a lot of the anxiety and stress that I was experiencing. And now about my practice, um, the type of practice that I do is really just focus breath meditations. And uh, what I'm doing is literally practicing coming to the present moment. And so uh, when sitting, focusing on my breath is kind of my, uh, my focus point. And then, of course, my mind wanders like crazy. And then it's just recognizing it, bringing it back to my breath. And uh, that's the present moment, just reminding myself, like, this is where I'm at at this moment. And, and I happen to sit on a mat when I meditate, but some people sit in chairs or, or whatever is most comfortable for them, benches. And, and so I may, you know, that's what I'm working on constantly. And I'll never be able to stop that practice I'll always need to practice that um, because it, it's it's a you know when when you're put when you're using it in your day to day life it's it's not easy even with lots of practice um, so I'm just trying to hopefully get just a little bit better each day um, yeah. and and recognizing you know things like okay I'm actually really tired today and I'm going to probably you know get agitated quicker than normally but just noticing mm-hmm. that early on. Mm -hmm. So when the triggers start coming, it's like, okay, pause, breathe, like just hold back, say less, you know, those types of things. And and those are, those are some of the, you know, I guess, high level of how that's been really useful uh, for me. I I was just going to say, you know, I've been doing this for 16 years and, and that's, you know, a lot of people when, when they ask me questions about meditation, I know you, you know a lot about this, um, but they, 
feel like, oh, I can't stop my thoughts. I should be going like that should be my time to sort of escape and, you know, kind of be in like la la Zen land or something floating, you know, feel good. And I, I always say it's actually quite the opposite the way I practice. It's all coming in. It's all the things that have been suppressed throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month. And it's just showing up and I'm ruminating and it's hard. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's things yeah. I actually don't want to think about that are entering in, but they're there. And we need to release them and look at them without judgment. Just let them be and then come back to the present moment, focusing on your breath or a mantra if you have that or whatever is the thing that works best for you and and, uh, recognizing how beautiful this moment is. And that's really all you have. And the more I remind myself of that over this past 16 years, the more I appreciate Things like being able to be connected to you at this moment and have this deep conversation and how beautiful that is in my life. And what an amazing thing that I get to do something like this with my day. Um, You know, I don't take that for granted like maybe I would have in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for saying that. And and that is kind of what I was going to hop in on. You know, there's this um, really layered, there's so many, there's so many layers to it. And I often think that people get a little um, frustrated, like you said, that you know they're not doing it right, or that it's too hard, or it's not for them. I get that that you know some things aren't for everybody. I'm a little biased because I kind of think meditation is for everybody. If I'm being <laughs> honest, but um, I think that it's the layers of it that make it hard, and that you know one of the one of the the mantras that transcendental meditation, which is my practice, preaches is that you get whatever you need. And so if you have a lot of thoughts, if you're wrestling and having a hard time sitting there for 20 minutes, that's exactly what you need for today. If you fall asleep, no problem. You were tired. That's what you needed. And just sticking with it. And then those moments where you get a little bit of awareness, a little bit of that pause, that space between that you mentioned from Viktor Frankl, right? When you notice it, you experience it just a little bit at a time, it's a layer. It peels back. You build on it. And it's a life's work. I mean, it's a life's work. I you know, spent a lot of time not in that transcendental space, you know? And, mm-hmm. and every time I can catch myself and come back to ground is a win. You know, and it's just That's a right. practice of trying to, you know, continue to build that. Um, and you know, you've spent, you, you've you now spend a, a fair amount of your work in this space. Um, talk to me a little bit about do nothing, the retreats, your book. You know, kind of how this has really emerged as an important part of your life and work. Well, I felt uh, over time, I noticed a shift from how I was leading at my company, and I noticed that I brought more compassion into the workplace. And I noticed that how that was translating into my relationships with my team members, our customers, our vendors, the community, and also within my family. Um, and, and that I could be a, just a little bit better of a person and show up better for them. And so for a while, I was just really kind of focused on that uh, for myself. 
And uh, after some period of time, I thought, you know, there's this could be useful to other people. And I'm happy to share my own personal experiences and maybe it will resonate with some and maybe it won't for others. And either way is fine, but I'd love to be able to share it. And so we talked a little bit. It's kind of started a little bit within the company and talking a little bit about that journey that I personally have been on and and uh, that created curiosity from some, but not all, and which is no, you know, totally normal and and all good. And and then I, uh, through a series of events, I ended up writing a book, kind of about my journey, uh, and it's called "Do Nothing: The Most Rewarding Leadership Challenge You'll Ever Take." Part of the journey was that I started going on silent retreats and ultimately started going twice per year for seven to 10 days at a time. And people, especially peers of mine in the business community, got really curious about that. Like, what are you doing? Like, going on these retreats all the time? You just sit around and you don't talk? I, I, that's crazy, you know? And I kind of laugh and I see where they're coming from and I just answer any questions about like maybe debunking some of the thoughts that they might have about how hard it is or, you know, how, how could you be away and be off the grid? And, and, you know, all I could do was share the benefits that I was seeing for my own, in my own life. And, and somebody encouraged me to share that in a, in a book, which, which is what I ultimately did. And, you know, as it relates to those experiences, what I noticed, and I, I'll relate this a little bit back to athletics, you know, when when you, let's say you're a basketball player and you're, you're in the gym late into the evening and you're shooting three-pointers, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, you know, there's a point where those athletes that are doing that, where they shoot it up and they don't even really need to look, they know whether it went in or not. They just know it's a feeling. They feel it. And when you are able to practice meditation to a point where you start to understand the feeling, then it's so much easier to incorporate it in life. Just like when the players in the game and they've done it so many times and they're in flow, they shoot it up and they know they're hitting it. They know, they know the feeling. And, uh, and that's one of the things I write about is that, especially on these retreats, there's a transition that takes place at the beginning. Your mind is super, super busy. And this is, I, this is anyone I've talked to on the retreats. This is the, this is what they go through. The beginning, your mind is very, very busy. Some people are trying to find calm because they're away from craziness. And that's kind of why they went, you know, other people are during, dealing with life traumatic experiences and it's just all coming at them at once. And all of a sudden around three days into say a seven or 10 day retreat, it starts to slow down. And calm starts to ensue. And all of a sudden, for the first time, literally since you've been born, you understand the feeling of true calm, of peace. And you're like, oh, that's what it feels like. <laughs> and, you, you, and if you're there for seven days, you have a couple days of that. And it's really beautiful because you start to see things more vividly, both in your mind's eye and out your sensations. You taste things differently. Everything takes on this new quality. And then you start to, for many, 
uh, actually a majority of the people, they start to actually not want to give that up. They start to get attached to it because they know the seven days is actually like it's because now there's a period of time where the, 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 uh, at the retreat, they're taking you out of it. And it's like, oh, I don't want to, but I do kind of want to go back to my life and, you know, experience it with all this vividness. Mm-hmm. And that's what ultimately ends up happening is you slowly kind of come out of this back into the, you know, into uh, assimilating yourself back into the real world, so to speak, getting ready to go back into your life. And But you felt it and you know what it feels like. So when you start to get caught up in the dramas, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, the stuff that's really going on in our lives, you're you're better capable to pause and really bring things into perspective because you remember what it felt like on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at the retreat to just have calm. And you can tap into that when there's a lot of stuff around you. You can actually use that skill. It's yeah. possible. And yeah. so that that was one of the reasons I felt it was important for me to do this a couple of times a year. I needed that. I needed mm-hmm. to re uh, bring myself to that feeling. And then yeah. and then just on a daily basis with my regular practice, trying to just re, you know bring that in and remember that feeling and remember that feeling. Yeah, I think it's it's important for people to hear that there's you know I think a combination of these kind of ecstatic experiences where you're going really deep and doing some really, you know, potentially profound work. But then there's the kind of day-to-day that has to be done as well. That was described to me once as uh, the the kind of meditation retreat, the seven days of of silence is like a, a big push on a skateboard. You know, if you're if you're on a skateboard, somebody comes by and pushes you. But if you don't pedal, pedal, pedal in between, you're going to come to a stop. And I, and I think <laughs> that's really important for people to hear is that I think both, you know, can can really collectively be valuable. And, you know, I love now that you're you're doing this for other people, that you're doing your own retreats and providing opportunities for people to unplug from their busy lives and get rejuvenated and, you know, be with like-minded people and, and, and more. It's, it's really uh, an incredible, probably very rewarding experience for you. Certainly people are benefiting from this, but that's the reward is you getting to actually see people benefit and also maybe grow yourself from watching them grow. You know, that, that there's often, you know, the idea that, in mentorship, you know, when one teaches to learn, you know, that, that just by facilitating these experiences, you, you're learning at the same time. Yes, you're so right. And it, it's, I look back on the retreats and that where I host them <clears throat> and these folks that come in and, and you know, and, and it's such a gift to, to, to witness uh, them go through it. And I, I'm just in the background, you know, I, I bring in professionals to to facilitate it and to teach and to take them through the journey. But uh, it, it is a gift and, and to see uh, how they feel after it, it really is amazing. And, and it's it's been an honor to be able to do it. And I hope I could do it a long time. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Rob, it's, it's great work. And Thank I you, love, Brett. you know, kind of how you've decided to use your life experience to now be of service to other people in this way. Uh, that to me is really 
the kind of most important work we can do is use our lives to be of service. That's right. So I'm also very fortunate to be in this kind of conversation with you today. You know, I, I, I happen to feel very connected to people when we are having conversations of depth and of real, you know, vulnerability and and of, of real importance. I think it's, for me, you know, it gives me a lot of energy. So I, I, you know, really appreciate you sharing today. And if there's anything else, any kind of final thoughts, maybe you want to share with the audience as we start to wrap up. I think, you know, the thing that comes to my mind about uh, purpose and about uh, sharing the life experiences, it, 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 it exudes from me to you the gratitude that you spend time uh, having a deeper conversation with different folks so others can hear that their experiences you know are similar but different and and i because our ability to learn from each other in our life experiences and knowing that these things that are going on in our lives and in our minds um, you know are very like we all have this in common and so I, I really uh, appreciate you in that that you bring this to the forefront and inviting me. What a, it's humbling and it's an honor. Yeah. Thank you. Wonderful, my pleasure. And we'll make sure our audience knows where to find you and where they can participate in your retreats. Hopefully, you're able to get back to doing that this year. And uh, <laughs> hope so. <laughs> you know, it, it feels like that's going to be the case. But Rob, thanks again for taking some time. Thank you, Brad. Thank you so it. much. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and follow me on Instagram at Brett Kaufman, on Twitter at BKaufman125, and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for The Gravity Podcast with Brett Kaufman. And please send me a DM with any guests or topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes.